You know, when we see, uh, and I, I know I mentioned this in my prayers, something I don't think I really talked about, uh, even mentioned last week in here, but you know, the all the uh, demonstrations and so forth that we see going on around the country. And uh, I'll tell you, if there if there's a time when we need the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, it's, it's now. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's people that need to be prayed for because of their the way they think and the way they look at others and uh, and that's uh, on all sides around of things not just not just one side or the other but there are people on both sides that uh, have hatred toward each other uh, and call and there are those uh, you know I think about uh, the Bible often talks about Satan as a is a liar uh, and I think he's also the one that loves to drive wedges between people and uh, so, you know, when you see see these kind of troubles going on around our country, you know, or in our, our in our cities or whatever, Satan's right in the middle of it. And he's laughing and having a good time because he does not like to see people uh, get along well with each other. So uh, we need to pray for our nation. And we need to pray for many peoples of this nation that their hearts might be healed. Uh, as we come this morning, uh, I hope you'll pray for me. Uh, as we have mentioned on several occasions in the last few uh, Sundays and uh, tried to talk about some things, uh, particularly related around uh, the uh, portion of Scripture that we find over in the, uh, in the New Testament, in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, uh, we find a portion of Scripture there where it talks about uh, in verse 10, uh, verse 10 and 11, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Uh, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I've made the comment here several times that we find this portion of scripture here in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, and uh, the Apostle Paul then goes on to describe in, uh, uh, in the scripture, in the verses that follow after this, here in this fifth chapter, how that in Adam uh, we became sinners and uh, how we died in him. Uh, in fact, uh, we had a sentence of death and trespasses and sins passed upon us. And even though the law had not yet been given uh, to men through, uh, through Moses, the Bible goes on here to tell us in this fifth chapter that uh, even though there were those that didn't uh, sin after the similitude of Adam, and sometimes we look at words like this, and you know, people read these New Testament scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, and they say, what in the world is this talking about? Well, it's simply saying to us that uh, the, the people that were sinners uh, of Adam's posterity that came after him, none of them went and ate of the fruit of the tree that Adam went and ate of. Adam transgressed the law of God. The law of God given to Adam was you can have every tree of the garden except the one tree and the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And Adam transgressed the law of God. He broke the law of God by going and eating of that tree. And then he, he comes down here in Romans. Paul tells us that those that between Adam and Moses didn't sin the same sin, the similitude, the exact same sin that Adam sinned, none of them went and uh, ate of that tree and transgressed the law of God. They didn't do that. Nevertheless, sin reigned or, or death reigned from Adam to Moses. 
from the time that Adam did that to the time that the law came and told them, uh, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Thou shalt have no other gods before him. Until the law came, nevertheless, death reigned upon everyone in, the, in Adam's posterity. And, a, and they were all sinners. In other words, they were not only uh, did death reign in a sense of physical death, but they were all dead in trespasses and sins. They were sinners. Uh, that needed a savior. And so even though they didn't sin in the exact same manner, Adam, they still became sinners anyway. Then he goes on to tell us below that, uh, if you, uh, you know, if you think about the, uh, think about this, I've said this several times in recent weeks, recent months, uh, but sometimes uh, portions of scripture that really come to light to me, you know, are things I guess I enjoy sharing uh, again and again and again. Uh, because we get down to the latter portions of this fifth chapter of the, the book of Romans, it tells us, uh, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's verse 18, if you're following along. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. So, uh, as I've said on several occasions here lately, if you can tell me what you personally did, what you, uh, or if you accepted, uh, in order to become a sinner, did you accept the fact you were a sinner? Uh, did you confess the fact you were a sinner or did you have to believe that you were a sinner in order to become a sinner? And the answer is no uh, to all of those. And, well, even so or in like manner is the way you became justified through Jesus Christ. It wasn't through your belief. It wasn't through your confession. It happened anyway because just like we became sinners in Adam, we became justified in Jesus Christ through his blood. All right. Now, the knowing that we were sinners, uh, uh, as you come to the knowledge of that through the law, because that's what the law did was declare, now we, now we know what's right and wrong. In the same manner as we know what Jesus Christ did for us, we can give all praise, honor, and glory to him for what he did. So now you, you know, hopefully that unfolds some of that. But he tells us up here in these portions of scriptures, verses 10 and 11, that uh, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And we were enemies when we were reconciled by his son. He tells us that uh, even, mo even much more being reconciled, having our debt paid, uh, reconciling that account. He reconciled the account, Mark stamped, paid in full. Okay, he, Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Uh, so not only are we reconciled to him, but we're going to have life again because of his resurrection and because of his coming to life after, after death. And he says, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Well, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a scripture that if you don't have any idea of what atonement is, it's just a verse of scripture in the Bible. And I think that's one of the reasons it, uh, it behooves us as we study God's word. We want to know. I want to know. What is, that, what is that atonement? Well, we go back over into the Old Testament scriptures and we find uh, uh, several times mentioned. You can go to uh, particularly, I think it is, uh, Exodus chapters 24 or so in there. And it talks about the atonement. Uh, and but I'm not going to go into that portion of it this morning. I'm going to turn over, if we can, uh, to uh, to uh, Exodus chapter 28, uh, and then uh, talk about how during this, uh, after uh, the children of Israel had come out of of Egypt, uh, God appointed 
uh, Aaron and his family to become the high priest. Uh, and as I had mentioned to you last week, if you go back and read uh, the genealogy of uh, Aaron and Moses, you'll find out Aaron and Moses were Levites. That was a revelation to me uh, because Aaron's family particularly was set aside to be the high priest, but all the other children of Levi became the Levitical priesthood. Uh, so it was all in his family that that priesthood was called. And so here in, uh, in Exodus chapter 28, he says, Take thou unto thee, and we're talking about this, this atonement, and uh, the atonement had to be made once a year by the high priest. I think we talked some last week about uh, how the fact that the high priest went in once a year on that tenth day of the seventh month, uh, it was set aside as a day of atonement. You can read that in Leviticus chapter 23. And where the high priest went in once a year and made a, an atoning sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for himself and for the, all the children of Israel. Uh, and as he did that, as he offered up a sacrifice for himself and for the children of Israel, first of all, it was acknowledging that the, uh, uh, that the high priest was a sinner. Needed, needed atoning. He needed to go through the cleansing that he had to go through. He had to wash, had to put on that special garment that he put on once a year to go in and make that atoning sacrifice. Uh, and then he atoned for himself. Then he went in and made an atonement or a blood sacrifice uh, for his people. And you, and, and you see all the things that are going on. Bullocks are being sacrificed. Goats are being sacrificed. Uh, all of these things that are taking place. And uh, in the New Testament tells us, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Well, the New Testament scriptures also tell us, and we may get over there to that maybe this morning, uh, but it talks about, it, the, the, about the fact that uh, the, the, in Galatians and Hebrews, it tells us that the, uh, the sacrifice of these high priests, the blood sacrifice that they made once a year, never, N-E-V-E-R, never took away their sins. They, what they did and what they didn't understand, it was a remembrance once a year. Uh, I'm not going to make the crazy, uh, you know, uh, I, I grew up in a time when some of our brethren would say, well, it rolled it forward for a year. No, it did not. Uh, it never did anything like that. If you don't know, don't worry. Don't even worry about that comment if you don't know about it, okay? I'm glad that's not true. It was simply for a remembrance, and it was to point them to the one that was to come. It was to be pointing them toward that Passover lamb. It was pointing them to that great high priest that would come for them one day. Uh, and so every year they were reminded... You're still sinners. <laughs> You're standing in need of a sacrifice. You need, you need a Savior to come. You need, you need blood to be sacrificed for you. But the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer never took away their sins. Uh, and so they were, they were to be looking forward to that day that was to come. So here in, uh, in Exodus chapter 28... We have, uh, it says, and we'll just read through this, uh, but I want you to see, first of all, some of the garment that the priest put on uh, because there's some pictures of, uh, of what the coming high priest was going to do even in the garments that the high priest was to wear. Take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me in the priest office's office even Aaron, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar, Aaron's sons, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. 
And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me, unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, shall make a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat and a mitre and a girdle. They shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and for his sons that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen uh, to, make, to make up these garments and to make up these various things. And uh, I, I've heard sermons in my, in my lifetime preached, you know, on, on all the colors that were in that. And, uh, and I'll just say, uh, you know, without going into vast detail, I guess, to try to make more out of it than what it is, I think it was very symbolic. Uh, uh, everything that we see in the Scripture is very, uh, it, it's not a word wasted that's in there. Uh, and it's all very important for us to look at. Uh, but we think about gold being the most valuable thing that uh, uh, that's upon this earth. Uh, uh, you know, the Bible says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. But I'll tell you this, gold is very beautiful. Gold is very valuable. And here we see, uh, uh, and, and only the, the richest of the rich, I guess, even in that day and time, had gold that was used uh, and what it was used for. Yet we also see in the tabernacle gold and silver everywhere uh, uh, scattered about that tabernacle. So we see this high priest whose, go, whose garments were to be made of gold and blue, uh, looking at the very heaven of heavens, uh, uh, the sky above, uh, where the Lord himself rules and reigns, uh, blue being used in there, purple being a, 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 ro- a color of royalty. Uh, we were, uh, I shared with y'all, I think, when we were here, how uh, even back in the, in the day, that uh, the, the purple threads that were made in Israel, how they had to go to the sea and to get special shells and snail shells and so forth that they used to try to dye things purple. So it wasn't just something you could go out in the field and get a seed or a corn or some other something. It was something special that you had to go to, to be able to dye something purple. And it was a royal color. And of course then scarlet. We understand scarlet representing the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, that these garments were to be made of something that was uh, both valuable of gold. Uh, uh, blue of the heavenly. Uh, purple of royalty and, uh, and scarlet to the very blood of Jesus Christ. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and they shall make me an ephod of gold, of blue and purple and of scarlet and of fine twine linen with cunning work and shall have two shoulder uh, pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof and show it, so it shall be joined together. So I want you to get a picture of this uh, of this garment that this priest was going to wear uh, and they call it an ephod that he was putting on and it had shoulder plates. You think about some uh, soldier you've seen uh, today, you know, he's got, his, uh, he's got his stars up here, the officers have got their stars up here on their shoulder pads, you know, and, uh, and everything Everybody can identify who he is uh, uh, by how many stars. I mean, he's either one, he's a lieutenant, or two, he's a captain, or three, a major, you know, so forth and so on. You can tell what his rank is by the stars that he's got on those shoulder pads. Well, in this day, the old priest had a garment that was uh, out of fine linen, uh, uh, knit together in a way uh, not rough and coarse, but very finely made. Uh, Some of the most elegant that you would have to spin and work to make a very fine linen out of it and now it's out of gold and about a, a purple and blue, blue and purple and scarlet 
and he's got shoulder pads built into this ephod. And on these uh, shoulder pieces it says, And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is pointed, shall, uh, shall be of the same, according to the work thereof. So now he's got him a belt. You know, if we if we see over in the New Testament, we see, uh, in in Revelation we see Jesus coming uh, with his his uh, girt about with a girdle there with, out, out of gold, I believe it is in Revelation, and he says, "And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold and of blue and of purple and of scarlet and a fine twined linen, and thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children." Of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the other six names on the rest of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. So you go put them in order on these stones, and these stones are going to be mounted on his shoulders uh, uh, because uh, uh, as as he's going in there, he's to be reminded both by uh, and I think that it's very symbolic of the fact that this high priest was carrying the children of Israel on his shoulders. I'll tell you, that'll point very well to the one that's to come, the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Uh, my friends, he carried us on his shoulders. The, uh, the weight of our sins was placed upon him. And as that high priest went in there, he had these stones, and he had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six on one side and six on the other. Then it goes on and tells us uh, as we go on through, and, the, and with the work of the engraver in the stone, uh, like the engravings of a signet, thou shalt engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel, and thou shalt make them to be a set, in, uh, to set in ouches of gold. In other words, they were to be put in little uh, uh, cup or whatever you want to call it, of, of gold that these things would be sitting upon in there. And thou shalt put two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. Um, Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And if y'all remember me a few years ago preaching on those memorial stones that they piled up uh, when they uh, when they crossed the River Jordan, they were to be for a remembrance. That's what memorial stones were for. And so these stones with the names of all the 12 tribes were placed upon Aaron's shoulders to be a remembrance of who he was representing while he was going into that uh, into that service once a year uh, as a high priest. And thou shalt take ouches of gold uh, and two chains of pure gold and with the ends of a wreath uh, work together with them and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. I'll tell you, my friends, uh, while, uh, while, we're ca- while our load of sin was carried uh, by, the, by, that, uh, by that great high priest, Jesus Christ, whom this Old Testament high priest was to be a symbol of, me and you were chained to him. <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, so they put chains on these golden ouches so that you could see. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment uh, with cunning work after the work of the ephod. Thou shalt make it of gold and blue and purple and of scarlet and of a fine twine linen. Uh, shall thou make it uh, four square. Now this was to be a, uh, a breastplate, if you will, made out of this same linen. Uh, and you think about how he had the shoulder pads on there with the stones. Now he's to make a, a uh, breastplate that he was to wear out of this same linen. Four squares shall it be doubled. A span shall be the length of it. Uh, and if I remember right, uh, a span is the distance from the, ma- from the tip of the thumb over to the end of the uh, little finger. That was considered a span. God, The Bible tells us uh, uh, that God holds the whole universe in a span. <laughs> it, just, it, it just rests in his hands, my friends. Uh, and so they were to take a span 
I tell you what, if they were working with my hands, it'd be kind of small. You know, I don't know, span be four square, uh, span on each side, uh, it'd be kind of small. But maybe their hands were a little bigger than mine, I don't know. Uh, uh, but it, well, I'll tell you what, that does pretty much make a breastplate, doesn't it? Think about a span. That'll work, that'll work pretty, pretty well in, in the right size. So it says, and thou shalt set it in, in it, settings of stones, even four rows of stones, uh, it didn't say four columns, it says four rows. Uh, so I guess there would be three in each row. Uh, he says, Thou shalt set settings of stone, four rows of stones. The first row shall be Sardis, a topaz, a carbuncle, and this shall be the first row. And he goes on and tells all the stones that will be in each of the rows. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, Every one with his name shall be according to the twelve tribes. Now, so uh, this this was called the breastplate of judgment, <clears throat> and each name of each tribe is written on each one of these stones. I'll tell you, while he carried our load of sins, uh, uh, you think about six and six. He carried them six and six on each shoulder. Uh, I'll tell you, he carried it all together. But I'll tell you what, if you think about that breastplate of judgment. We were all judged individually, each tribe, each person. And I'll tell you, thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ, we came forth innocent. Each one of us, not just a, uh, some kind of a corporate judgment that he made, but an individual judgment was made on each tribe, each person. And I'll tell you, it's represented by this old breastplate. You say, oh, what's that all that Old Testament stuff got to do with anything? I'll tell you, it'll reveal New Testament truths when you go back and understand it. How God didn't just die for some uh, great uh, unknown number of people. He died. He went in there representing each of the 12 tribes. He went in there representing each name individually written on his breastplate of judgment. And I I'll tell you, that ought to, uh, while we know that Israel is, uh, is represented here in this Old Testament, I'll tell you, you and I know that, uh, uh, that Israel overall represents a great unknown number of people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe, and people upon the earth. So these stones were to be written, uh, and thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains uh, at the end of the wreath work of pure gold, and thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and thou shalt put in the two rings, uh, uh, the two ends of the breastplate, and thou shalt put on the two wreath, uh, put the two wreath and chains of gold in the two rings, which are at the end of the breastplate. I'll tell you what, you know what two rings are? They have no end. And I'll tell you, uh, we talk about giving rings at weddings, how it represents the endless love that this couple's to have for each other. And we take these breastplates uh, with these chains ringed in there, tied on to this breastplate. Uh, and I believe you'll see an endless love of God uh, that's represented in these things. So uh, you can go on and read. He goes on and talks about the girdle, how it's to be wrapped around uh, this ephod and so forth. And uh, and you can see the beautiful things uh, beneath them. On verse 33, beneath upon the hem of them thou shalt put pomegranates of blue and a purple and of scarlet uh, and the hem thereof and bales of gold between, between them round about and a golden bell and so forth. Uh, and thou shalt make a plate of pure gold. Verse 36, Grave upon it like the engravings of the signet, holiness to the Lord, and thou shalt put on it, uh, put on, uh, put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre and upon the forefront of the mitre shall it be talking about his headpiece, the mitre piece that he was to wear in there. 
All of these things symbolic and representative of a great high priest that was to come and the work that he was to do. Uh, and so we, we take these, uh, these pretty pictures of this garment that he's to wear and you turn over back into that New Testament and think about uh, this high priest wearing all these garments representing a particular people, not just anybody. We've said this before. He went into that uh, uh, Holy of Holies once a year. He was representing the children of Israel. Uh, he wasn't representing the uh, Malachites and the Hittites and the uh, Philistines and the Perizzites, he went into that Holy of Holies representing a particular chosen people of God, the nation of Israel, and that's who he atoned for their sins every year. And the Bible tells us, you go read about atonement, whether they knew it or didn't know it. He went in there and atoned, made an atonement for their sins. I think, you know, sometimes, again, I think those words are so special to, to realize, you know what, you and I have sins that, uh, uh, in our lives that we don't even know about. We're not even conscious of. But you know what? Jesus Christ paid for all of them. <laughs> he did, not just the ones you know about, not just the ones you've confessed, not just the ones you've brought before Him and said, Lord, please forgive me of this sin. He knows all of our sins and an atonement was made for all the sins, known and unknown. My friends, so uh, what, a, what a pretty picture of what that high priest did going in there representing those people uh, that he was atoning for all of their sins. So uh, we see uh, uh, here in this fifth chapter of the book of Romans again that not only we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received, we have now received the atonement. You're not waiting for the atonement to come. You've already received it. It's already been made. The price has already been paid. You've already been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we turn over to Hebrews, sometime several weeks ago, this is where I wanted to get to, <laughs> and we may skip across several things here, but uh, the, the, the apostle here writing in the, book, in the book of Hebrews began to talk unto the children of Israel in the modern days, in the, and I say in the modern days, in the time of the coming of Christ, in the time of the founding of the New Testament church, he's writing this letter. I was talking with some brethren this weekend, and we, we were just having good fellowship time at a, at a meeting over in Georgia uh, on Friday and uh, uh, talking about some things. And uh, somebody says, well, now, and this question comes up all the time, uh, you know, with, with people saying, well, who do you think wrote the book of Hebrews? You know, it doesn't say, you know, and, and they said, well, you know, you can't prove it by this or that or something else. But I believe Paul wrote that letter. Well, then, then somebody says, well, well, why didn't he put his name on that letter like he did all the other letters? Well, you know, I can't say this for sure without, you know, as an un, you know, unaltered fact or anything. But if you think what all Paul did to the Israelites there in the beginning might not have been profitable for him to write a letter to the children of Israel saying, uh, well, this is Paul, the apostle. Uh, I think I'll send it. You know, Aren't you the same guy that tried to round us up and kill us all and drag us back to Jerusalem? Uh, probably not a good idea to sign his name to that letter, okay? Uh, uh, so we, we find here in this letter, he lays out uh, the greatness of, uh, of God, how, how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's better, than, uh, uh, he's better than Moses, he's better than Abraham, he's better than angels, uh, he's better than all those that, uh, that have gone before. Uh, and yet uh, he took on the form of man so that he might be a, a high priest for them. 
so that he might be made a high priest uh, uh, in their said. And so it says, uh, wherefore, verse 17, let's go back to verse 16 of chapter 2. For verily he took not on the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things uh, pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. There was something God was looking for. There was something he required. Not only was he the, uh, uh, the great lamb, that, uh, uh, but he was also that great high priest. Uh, and uh, as God had, you know, we, we, we can kind of read over this on one, on one occasion, but I want to repeat this because if you've been with us on Wednesday nights or maybe you've been catching up with us on uh, some of the postings of the notes that Brother Adam makes from time to time as we've been studying through that book of Genesis, uh, uh, God made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, he told Abraham, not only did he tell Abraham that he was going to give him all the land of Canaan and told him the land that it was going to be, but he told Abraham, when Abraham came back to him in chapter 15, where it talks about, and boy, if you want to go have some fun sometime, and you can follow along with this, just go and read how many times the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis is referenced uh, by, by men talking about, look back at Abraham. Because when Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him or imputed unto him for righteousness. And what did Abraham believe? Abraham came and says, God... <laughs> Father, seeing uh, that you've given, given me this great inheritance, this land and all these things. And he says, but I have no heir. I have no one in my household. Uh, it, it, is it possible, God, uh, that, uh, that this, uh, this son of Eliezer, my servant, is going to be the one uh, that's going to inherit all these things? And God, God the Father looks back at him and says, out of thine own bowels shall thy heir, thou heir come. Out of your own body, uh, Abraham, is going to come an heir, uh, an inheritor of all the blessings. And not only this, uh, uh, all the nations of the earth. They didn't say it all in one place. You can go read 17, uh, 17 of Genesis and so forth. But it says, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And it, well, And here's the other part of it. Brother Adam, you'll like this, I think. You, know, you, you go back over there and look at how when God first promised Abraham that he was going to be blessed uh, and, and that he was going to inherit that land and that, uh, uh, that his, seed, uh, his seed would be as the sands of the, of the seashore. Now he comes back and he says, God, who are you going to give, uh, uh, who, you know, are you going to give me a son? He says, yes, I'm going to give you a son. He says, come outside the tent, Abraham. <clears throat> and this time, Abraham's not looking down at the sands of the sea. This time, Abraham's looking up. There just might be some significance in that. That Abraham's not looking down anymore. He's not looking around anymore. He's not looking in his household anymore. He's looking up to the stars of heaven. And God tells Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham, if you can count and number the stars, so shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him or accounted unto him for righteousness. Uh, uh, and so Abraham looked up. 
And he saw where his blessings were coming from, my friends. Uh, It wasn't coming from Abraham. It wasn't coming from the earth. It was coming from God above. That's where his blessings were going to come from. So wherefore, he says, verily, in verse 16 of Hebrews 2, he says, verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Why? Because God promised through Abraham all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that promise. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all in things pertaining to God, uh, to be made to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, and in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them also that are tempted. He came and took on the form of a man, and so when you and I are tempted. He not only is he our high priest, not only is he our Passover lamb, but here the the writer reminds us that while he was here on earth, Satan himself tempted Jesus Christ to sin, yet he was without sin. Uh, I'm telling you, when you and I sometimes, uh, we're feeling temptations coming on us, you know, and, and people you say, well, well, the devil made me do it, you know. Uh, that was Flip Wilson's old, uh, for all you folks that don't even remember Flip Wilson, uh, uh, that was his great comedy routine, you know. Well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. The devil never made us do anything, my friends. We make a choice a lot of times to be sinners and to sin and to fall into that trap. And I'm going to tell you, he tempted our Savior. But he didn't, but he didn't fall. He didn't succumb. He was, made like a, he was made in the form of a man. He came in the seed of Abraham. He had on flesh just like you and me. But he didn't sin. But you know what? He knows what it's like to be tempted to sin so that you and I can come to him. And when we're feeling uh, temptations rolling around about us, he knows what it's like. And you have someone that you can come. It's not, he's not a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows all about us. He knows our frame. The Bible says he knows our frame. He knows that we're just dust. He knows that we're just mere mortals, my friends. But he understands and he cares and he loves and he desires to be a a help. Wherefore, holy brethren, uh, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, uh, inasmuch as who hath builded the house hath more honor. Than the house, you know, we might go in sometimes, and uh, and we'll see somebody has a beautiful home. That's uh, uh, maybe somebody that's got a new home, like uh, uh, like some folks we might know here in the congregation. Uh, you know, they've got a home, but you know what the Bible says? Uh, uh, while the house might be uh, might be honorable, the one that built the house is the one that has the great honor. The one that put it together, designed it, built it, placed it. Honor goes to him for the house. And he says, "We, me and you are the house of God. And the builder of the house is our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And he has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that builds all things is God. So he goes on and tells us uh, uh, about uh, uh, this great, great man. And Moses was verily faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken uh, after. And Christ as a son over his own house. 
Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, if you're going to try to take that portion of Scripture and say uh, uh, that, uh, well, the only way you're going to be saved, uh, my friends, for heaven's final world uh, is if you have confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Uh, I'm telling you, you're going to leave out a lot of of the infirm, the aged, those that no longer have mind to think. uh, And I'm going to tell you, even some of God's great men over the years uh, fail uh, into states of sin where they didn't hold fast to the love of Jesus Christ to the end. Uh, And so uh, if that's what that's talking about, then I'm going to tell you there's a lot of people that once loved the Lord but somehow another got doomed along the way and that's going to make the blood of Jesus Christ of none effect in in their lives. That's not what that's saying there in that in that sense of Scripture. But I'll tell you what, to you and me, Right here in this old world in which we live, if uh, he's uh, if he's going to be the author of eternal salvation unto me and you, uh, uh, my friends, we got to believe and hold fast uh, that he is our savior, uh, and we've got to follow after these things uh, while we live here. Uh, that does not, uh, you know, this this is not that complicated, really. Jesus Christ bought us, friends, with his blood. He bought everyone that he singly represented on that cross. Uh, That breastplate of judgment, names are written on that breastplate, my friends. Uh, Our names were written on the palms of his hand, and no man can pluck them from the Father's hand. Uh, Our names are written there and cannot be removed. But I'll tell you what, in this old world that we're living in a lot of times, we get weak. If we're going, if we're going to, uh, if he's going to be the author of our salvation here in this life, we've got to hold on to it in this life. Uh, not going to change our eternal destination, but I'll tell you what, it'll change your joy and your comfort and your hope while you live here. If you're not holding on to these things, Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, are we? If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope to the end, wherefore as the Holy Ghost saith today. If you will hear his voice. Uh, today, if you will hear his voice. That's what, that was the cry to the children of Israel. You know what they did? They didn't hear it that day. You know what they ended up happening? Many of them perished in the wilderness over there. Why? Because God told them to get up and go into, uh, go into Canaan's land today. He didn't say sleep on it and think about it tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, and Canaan's land is not talking about going home to heaven. Uh, it's talking about conquering uh, uh, the kingdom of this world. Uh, it's, it's the kingdom of God in this world that God gave to Abraham uh, and to his descendants and all those that follow after him. <clears throat> as, as, a, as a family of God, God's given us a kingdom. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to occupy it. Occupy Till I come. Hold fast till I come. Be faithful till I come. Eat the fruits of the land till I come. Plant and grow and gather and feast and harvest till I come. He wants us to get over Jordan and he wants us to get on the other side and hold on to these things. And he wants us to fight and drive out all of those enemies that would cause us to not enjoy the fellowship of our Lord Master while we're here. But he says, today, if you will hear my voice, hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. They were tempted. They were tempted not to believe uh, that God would drive out their enemies, that God would fight the battle. 
Do you ever have that problem in your life? Sometimes you're facing trouble, you're facing trial, you're facing an issue in your life, and you know God has promised to never leave you, never forsake you, but you just don't think He's going to get it done this time. You just don't think He's going to... You know what? We sometimes perish just like they do in the wilderness of this old world. We get gobbled up by our own sins. We get gobbled up by those that are around us sometimes. Why? Because we don't believe today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of our Lord. Every day that you and I live. You know what the great, the great blessing is? We get up every day and today's a new day. Today's another day where I get to go out and serve the Lord. Today's another day where I have an opportunity to be successful and follow after Him. But He tells us over here to show how important a single day can be. You say, well, well, it's just tomorrow, you know, just today, just doesn't matter, you know, this is, a, this is not a great significant day, maybe you might think, in your life. The children of Israel didn't think that day was very significant in their life. You know what it led to? It led to 40 years in the wilderness, and it led to all those above the age of 19, except Joshua and Caleb died there. Why? Well, he goes on and tells us, that they weren't allowed to enter in. I'm going to bring this to a close. But they, they, they were not allowed to enter into Canaan's land because of their unbelief. Now the question is, y'all, if you've been here many years and you've heard me preach, you'll, you'll understand this. I do not believe their unbelief was that they did not believe in God. Their unbelief was they didn't believe God. There's a big difference in not believing in God and not believing God. They believed in God. They just didn't believe God. When God said He would conquer their enemies and drive out all those, uh, those that had the walled cities uh, and the giants that were over there in the land, they didn't believe God that day. <clears throat> and you know what? It led to their great downfall of many of them that were there. All right, so i got to bring this to a close for today. <laughs> they didn't enter in because of their unbelief. Uh, you and I sometimes don't enter into the fellowship of God. Why? And we don't, uh, we don't walk in the fellowship of God like we should because we don't believe God. We don't believe that God will give us what He says He will give us. We don't believe He'll give us peace. We don't believe He'll give us fruit. We don't believe He'll give us joy. We don't believe when He says, you know what, if I treat my wife a certain way, I'll have a happy marriage. We don't believe that if I'll just love my husband, uh, that maybe things will work out uh, for the better. We don't believe that when God says, train up a child in the way that he shall go, that things will work out. Sometimes we don't believe that today, today, today. Every day is a blessed for us. Let us, let us enter in uh, and, and enjoy the finished work of that great high priest, Jesus Christ. So we'll stop there. We're about the end of chapter 3 uh, of the book of Hebrews, and we'll pick it up from there, uh, Lord willing, next week. So may God bless you. Uh, think about that great high priest, what he represented, what he did for you and me, and then let us walk in that finished work of his atoning sacrifice on the cross. May God bless you as our prayer.